Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With karate, I'll kick your ass from here to right over there. Oh, yeah, motherfucker, gonna kick your fucking dairy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You broke the rules, now I'm pulling out your pubic head. You motherfucker. Yeah, baby, you know all about Bet Online. It is absolutely the only place you need to go when it comes to the latest odds, news, information, all your online sports betting needs are at Bet Online. Do you understand me? Regardless of what it is, if it has to do with the world of sports, if it has to do with the world of online betting, there's no other place to go. Than our friends at Bet Online. Visit the website today. Use your mobile device. Join and receive your fifty percent off. You heard me correctly. Five zero percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't you dare, mm-mm, don't you dare sleep on Magic Spoon. It is the best thing to have in your cabinet. You know why? Because it tastes as good, if not better, than your favorite childhood cereal. And it has 13 or 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs in every serving. With only 140 calories, you ask yourself, well, how on earth can this be so good and have so much nice stuff packed into it? It must be filled with junk and fillers. Uh-uh. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. I love every single flavor. Magic Spoon is awesome. I've had many Mikey Likes You listeners take me up on it, try the Magic Spoon. They all report back wonderful things. So go to magicspoon.com slash Mikey, grab a variety pack and try it today, and be sure to use our promo code Mikey. Use it at checkout. Save $5 off your next order. Remember, Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Mikey. Use the promo code M-I-K-E-Y Mikey. Save yourself $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, my babies, my babies, my babies. It is Mikey Likes You, the greatest health and fitness podcast on the planet. Uh, ranked by, well, well, really no one. That's That's not an official ranking. Um, but again, I will repeat, Howard Stern, one of my idols, you know, being a radio guy, he created the idea of him being the king of all media, and it just worked. Michael Jackson was the king of pop. He just said he was the king of pop. And then after a while, after, you know, selling millions and millions and millions of records, people just realized, oh, yeah, you're the fucking king of pop. And I'm saying that this is, I'm just putting it out there. This is the greatest health and fitness podcast on the planet. Make it so. Today, it's one of the rare and cherished... Well, it's not really that rare. I do them every other fucking episode. It's one of the cherished question and answer podcasts. I solicit you for questions on my Instagram. At Mike Catherwood or at Mikey Likes You One. Then you give me uh, questions. And then I answer them. 
during this podcast. Here we go. Question number one from Doug's Diggin. How often do you switch up heavy workouts with high volume? P.S. We want cooking with Mike. Um, cooking with Mike is going to happen when I have the uh, YouTube channel and component to go with the podcast. So that's going to happen. Uh, how often do you switch up heavy workouts with high volume? Well, this, again, falls into the category of do as I say, not as I, or excuse me, do as, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. And the reason I point this out is because I do them both in one week. It is a pretty common approach, um, but it is for an advanced athlete. Um, I am someone who has a lot of training history, uh, many different modalities. I uh, proportionately for my body weight am pretty strong, and I also am pretty well conditioned. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I do push-pull legs, and I do it really heavy with very minimal working sets, probably... I don't know, for each exercise, for each workout, I do like probably eight to 10 working sets. That's it. You know, and push-pull legs, um, you know, pull, for instance, I'm doing rear delts, traps, lats, lower back, mid-back, and biceps, you know, and that's all taking up only like eight to 10 work sets. So it's very low volume, but it's super heavy and super high intensity. Now, I'll follow that up with Tuesday, excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I do pretty high volume, low weight, high reps. I actually put up a post on this on my uh, Instagram just last week, kind of splitting up my squat workouts. And I did, I did a post on one of my work sets for my squats uh, with 315 pounds and it was just like a set of four but I was I was pretty fatigued that was like my second working set I did a, a set prior to that with uh, 345 and I think I got like five to six but I was done you know those two sets and I was fucking toast contrast that with I did 10 sets of 20 on Saturday so one Wednesday I do the two heavy sets and Saturday, I'm doing 10 sets of squats with 20 uh, 20 reps. So that's a lot of volume at a lot of really medium weight, even could be considered lightweight. It's probably about 50%, no, like 40% of my working max. So that's how I split it up. I don't think that that's appropriate. I, In fact, it's not appropriate. It's actually could be harmful to people's progress to try to train like that, unless you have years and years and years and years of experience um, and understanding about your own level of recovery. Uh, a natural person, even a relatively healthy one. Motherfucker, why does that do that? Anyone who's a super computer geek, I have to keep my email open at least during the Q&As because I get a lot of questions through my email. <sighs> I'm positive I turned it down. In fact, I rechecked when I just right now heard that boom. I turned it all the way down, but yet for some reason it like feels the need to do just a little bing, not a full bing. Even though it was 
at mute. Fucking dicks. At some setting that I'm just not smart enough to check. Anyway, here we go. So I do recommend for, for the overwhelming majority of people, um, especially people listening to this podcast who are not full-fledged beginners, but are most likely pretty fit people, pretty active people that have a history and training. I understand that's not all of you. Some of you are listening are super fucking studs and awesome bad, bad boss bitches. And then uh, a lot of you are listening are, are, are abject beginners. I get that. I love that actually. But I'm saying for, if I were to be a betting man, I would imagine, you know, 60% of the people, 70% of the people listen to this podcast are people who already have a general history and, and interest in fitness and have some type of, um, you know, horsepower behind them. And for that person, I, I recommend four weeks of each. I like to keep people's training frequency and training volume reasonable. There is value to training six days a week, sometimes twice a day. If you're fucking Stan efforting, sometimes even if you're me, I'm not like a world-class physique, but I have 20 years, 20-something years of training hard. That makes a big fucking difference, you know, when you're, when you're applying. I can continue to make growth uh, or, or lose body fat, maintain muscle, see my progress by training that much. Sometimes I literally have to. If you're not in that position and there's nothing wrong with that, if you're not there, it doesn't help you to train more. In fact, there's a big downside to overtraining. There's very, very, very little downside. In fact, sometimes there's a huge upside to just training a little bit too little. So being, being below the minimum effective dosage of, of heavy training is, is not only okay, it sometimes can be better. Being a little bit over the level of minimum effective dosage is bad news. It gets real bad real quick. You can get sick, your central nervous system, adrenal glands, they all get fatigued, and then you, you stall. Uh, very often, beginners, real beginners, um, they hit what they call a plateau simply because they don't train hard enough and they get bored and they don't like what they're doing. The intermediate athlete, you know, often, so often hits his or her plateau because they fucking just, they're too committed. And then they wonder why, hey man, I initially I started losing weight. I saw some muscle definition in my shoulders, but I feel like I've really stalled. Yeah, you have because you're fucking burnt out to, to death. You're so psychologically committed to it that you just keep going and going and going. And you end up just kind of burning yourself out even further. And it becomes a very frustrating loop. And so many people, so many people, especially a lot of my top tier patrons, they come from, you know, either a world of CrossFit or a world of like bodybuilding or, or, or their interest is powerlifting. And they, and they constantly are saying to me, I'm so used to training more. I'm doing, I'm used to doing, I feel like there's, I have so much left when I leave the gym. I, is it okay if I do more? And I go, um, well, we can talk. But the reality is, is that you're accustomed to training too much and not good enough. You're accustomed to having too much of not quality. You need to get used to having just the right amount of really good. The minimalists, I don't know if you guys are any are familiar with them. There's a group of dudes 
and they're they're two dudes and they they got a website and a and an Instagram feed and a podcast and it's all about minimal minimalism and living your life with less, okay? And they have a saying that says have less, have better. And it certainly applies nowadays to just our material shit. You know, I realized that a lot when in 2013 when I did something called the domestic journey and I tried to commit my entire year 12 months and I did it. I pulled it off of buying nothing made outside of the United States of America. Every single product that I put my money towards that I purchased uh, was made in America. And that went from my cars. I, I uh, uh, To be fully honest, I don't think I bought a car that year, but I've only purchased American cars in my life. Um, oh, that's a lie. I, I had a Toyota truck. But uh, I, I, I only buy American, at least in my adulthood. Um, but everything, Band-Aids to toothpaste to uh, fuel to, to er you know, everything in my life, clothes that I wore, uh, my food. I, I had to switch to buying Mountain Valley Spring sparkling water instead of my favorite San Pellegrino because that was an, an Italian product. Uh, and I, I, I switched to buying American sparkling water. So, I mean, I'm really committed to everything in my life. And what I noticed is I don't need a lot of shit. And if I'm going to get shit, I should just invest in better and then keep it forever and have less of shit that's better. And the same thing goes for your training. I'd much rather see people go to the gym three, maybe four times a week and fucking hammer it out write down their sets and reps, make sure they're getting a little bit of progressive overload every time they go back into the gym, then to do six days a week, two a days sometimes, you know, some of these people that they, they email me or they get in touch with me or they even start to work with me, they're do, do training twice a week, twice a day, I mean, and I go, yeah, but tell me about your workout. And then they do and I go, yeah, you did six sets of squats and one of them was worth a damn. I'd much rather you go in there focused. You know you did 260 for six last time. You're doing 265 for six this time. Or you're doing 260 for seven reps. Every, every workout. And it's like you get yourself psyched. You get the music going. Boom. And you hammer. That's training. Okay? That's the difference between training and exercise. And my wife is noticing that difference right now since she started working with me. And I highly encourage everyone to go back and listen to the last episode with my wife, Bianca Kylik. Because she's made incredible progress in three weeks. She fucking looks amazing. Admittedly, my wife came from a great base. She already looked pretty fucking hot. But my wife has made crazy gains, crazy progress. And the difference is, is that she always trained. She trained with a super smart, super good trainer named Steve Zim. And I, I love the guy and I think he is a great trainer. His, his work speaks words. It's, excuse me, speaks volumes. He's worked with professional athletes, professional actors and models, and he always kicks their ass and he does great. He does great stuff and he's a smart guy and I hope people uh, give him business at a tighter U in Culver City and also ZimFit is his, his app. So I want you to understand that when, I'm, when I say this, this is nothing against Steve Zim. But my wife got very comfortable going to see Steve Zim and it became a social thing and she had her friends that she trained with. And she went in and she did her exercises. She did exactly what Zim asked of her. 
but her mind was in the, I'm showing up because this is my time of day to show up and train. And I'm going through, and she wasn't training, she was exercising. She was breaking a sweat, she was doing exercises, but her mind wasn't connected to it. She starts getting programmed by Janet Leug, and she starts training physically with me in the gym. I'm writing down every fucking rep, every single weight of every exercise. Every week she goes back and she, and I, you believe, you better believe I'm putting five to 10 pounds more or we're getting another rep every single exercise, every time. Um, and I push her to, you know, when she gets to that point where she's like, I got to stop. I'm like, no, you have three more at least. I haven't even touched this bar. Let's go. And, and that's training. Exercise is moving to the point that you raise your heart rate. Training is focused. It's calculated. Okay. So I understand long-winded way of saying, but I think that there was other things in there in my long-winded answer that were very pertinent and very important for you to hear. Train volume. Yes. Train intensity. Yes. But you have to program them and they have to be very calculated, just like anything else. The quality of your training is far more important than the frequency. Um, I like to, right off the bat, if I'm just talking in a, in a, in a um, detached sense where I'm not physically with you and, and chronicling everything you do, four weeks of a certain program, ideally three weeks of blasting, reading, you're really committed, one week of relaxation or deload, and then again, switch it up, do three weeks of hardcore um, uh, volume training, and then a week of rest, then go back three weeks of intensity rest, three weeks of volume rest. That's, that's a pretty picture perfect and very standard in the world of strength training, a very standard approach, okay? So try to break that up. Now, if you're listening and you're 7% body fat and you're deadlifting three times your body weight, then you can explore the idea of just including, you know, three workouts of intensity in one week with three workouts of volume. It also is a very standard and very effective protocol, but you have to be there to, to make that work. You have to get to that point. Um, what are your favorite metal bands you like to listen to when you're working out from Eva Squeeze, Eva Squeezy? <laughs> uh, every Time I Die, uh, of course... Slayer, motherfucking Slayer. Um, I've been I've been really into like power metal lately. You know, for non-metal fans out there, it's like a subgenre of uh, typically early to mid '80s kind of. Um, it was a mixture of thrash and the new wave of British heavy metal. It was bands like Accept, Halloween. I've been into power metal lately. Certainly, suicidal tendencies. Um, Every once in a while, I'll fuck around with some like more hardcore, and I mean like modern hardcore, not like uh, you know Minor Threat, Black Flag. I'm uh, I'm talking like uh, Hatebreed, um, Madball, Terror, uh, that that world of like the the modern metallic hardcore. Um, so yeah, those are those are a good collection. Overhand versus underhand row. Good question from Dill Dill Pick Five. Underhand row and, oh, and he, he buttons that with, is there much difference? There's not much difference, but there is a difference and they do have value each. 
I always like to say, hey, have underhand row in your arsenal because it will help you. I, I do think you get a better contraction and a better stretch. It's a, just a more natural movement, um, the underhand row. The problem is, and Dorian Yates is the best example of it, is that once you start to get strong, the underhand row puts your biceps in a really bad situation and it makes for a fucking real recipe to, to tear your bicep. So go heavy with overhands. It's a better exercise to really go balls to the wall. Have the underhand in your arsenal. Work it in every. But be very, be much more careful with the weight you choose, and then really work it for the movement. I like to do underhand rows when I'm doing higher volume and and lower weight, and then I like to do pen lay rows or overhand rows when I'm going ham. Uh, Charles Charles Walker says, "I've been trying to follow a carnivore type diet recently." Due to inflammation and digestive issues, but I have some brain fog right now. I follow a weight training program. Do you think I should have carbs before or after I eat? I'm not necessarily trying to be full carnivore, just trying to find and test out what's best for my body. Thank you. Um, okay, very dense question here. So there's a couple answers I got to go with. The brain fog's absolutely natural. And I can have a couple of clients I work with, my wife included, talk about if you can push through the brain fog, the, the, the mental acuity and the mental cognitive benefits and energy benefits that come from a part of carnivore diet or a key, even a ketogenic diet uh, are, are, are immense. But the initial brain fog, a lot of people like to call it the keto flu, is very real and it's very natural and, and, and it's okay. If you're not in a position in your life where you want to even fucking deal with that, I understand. If you have a job where you have to be on it um, all the time. You know, I, for instance, I would occasionally fuck around with keto diets um, back in the days when I was doing two radio shows. And I would almost always, I would say, well, I, I want to get the cognitive benefit, blah, 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 blah. But then I would realize I can't deal with the two to three days of not being able to find words and put sentences together as best that I can because I had every night and every day I had to be on it. So I would just steer away from it. But there is benefit to that. If you can get to the point where you push through it and that, that keto flu or the transition to becoming more fat adapted is going to be a different length of time for different people. Um, if you're generally pretty overweight and not so active, it's going to be a while. Sometimes people report it being weeks. It can be as little as like a day and a half for some people. Um, that's a, largely due to your training history and your circumstances and, and your biology. There's the genetic component. Um, but again, if you're not even, if you're just not in the market for that right now, then yes, I think targeted use of carbohydrates is a very, very smart approach. Keep them either um, right after weight training, excuse me, right before weight training, you know, do a, a small amount, 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrates, and then maybe the same amount right after um, with cardiovascular or intense um, interval work, go ahead and wait till after. Um, you can have a protein uh, with I would want to steer away from fat around workouts because you, you don't want a slow digestion, unlike other times of the day. 
or you can do the car backloading protocol, which is very, very nice and very, very uh, effective for many people because carbohydrates make you sleepy. They relax you. They they engage that serotonin. Um, that is why it is not the L-tryptophan um, that makes the Thanksgiving dinner make us sleepy. It's the fact that we eat a fucking shit ton at Thanksgiving that makes us... Because people always like, oh, Thanksgiving, uh, tryptophan, you know, that turkey, it's going to put you to sleep. No. If you had six ounces of ground turkey, uh, you know, as a part of one of your meals in a day, you're fine. It's You get the same sleepiness on Christmas dinner. You get the same sleepiness on uh on fourth of july when you go fucking balls to the wall with the cake and the hot hamburgers so it's not necessary i mean i i i my mexican side of the family was largely responsible for any type of cultural meals so i was i i ate tamales at christmas that's what i eat and believe me i got just as sleepy and fucking lethargic after tamales as i did after mashed potatoes and, and turkey uh my point being is that High bolus of carb carbs and and carby food makes you sleepy. So if you're going to engage in in targeted kind of use of the carbohydrates, it's a very smart move. Uh, this guy, Dr. John Kiefer, developed the carb backloading system. Ben Greenfield has been very successful at using this, where he'll save all his carbohydrates till uh, his last meal of the day, right before bed, just to kind of. Um, daisy chain off of that feeling of, of preparing your body to relax. The next day you have a little bit of glycogen stored up in your body to go ahead and hit that workout, but then you can use the rest of the morning and afternoon to get yourself back into a more ketogenic fat adapted state. So you have two choices there. Uh, again, use them targeted around the workout. Um, I like before and after split evenly for weight training. I like after for cardiovascular work. Um, and then, or to just save them all for, for bedtime. Good question, Charles. Um, M Quintero 630. Hi, Mike. Been doing the 5x5, but have a slight pain in knee. Doctor suggested avoid squats for a while. Any alternative to squats that would not take, not take too much strain on knee? Love the podcast. Okay, uh, again, a dense question. I'll try to answer it as best I can. First off, Knee pain with squatting is one of two things. You're not squatting properly, so work on your form. Um, or you have a pre-existing knee problem, which is serious, and I totally agree. Avoid squatting for now until you can work that. The alternative, the best alternative, is the knees over toes guy. He has free, plenty of free material. I think his in programs are even free at his website, but... Go to his YouTube, uh, Knees Over Toes Guy. That's what he's called. He has a protocol a sp built mostly around sissy squat and 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 the split squat, the knees over toes split squat. I actually have put up on my Instagram a video of me doing the knee over toes split squat. It's excellent. Here's a man who has had disastrous knee problems, surgeries, the whole deal, and now in later in his age is has better knee health than ever before. And he was a professional, no, excuse me, a, a high level basketball player, college basketball player, I believe. And even now instead, you know, at, at in his later age, 35 plus, he has better knees and better uh, leaping ability and better ability to run and, and, and squat than he did when he was 
an active 19-year-old college basketball player. And that's because he's really zeroed down excellent ways to bolster and strengthen those tendons and muscles around the knee. It's not just about the muscles. It is absolutely about the connective tissue, especially when you're talking about the knees and shoulders. Um, and there is protocols to, 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 to strengthen those and to, to bulletproof those from injury. He is a master at it. I recommend all his content, especially when it comes to this. Um, to sum up, I would say absolutely, uh, you can go unweighted, but to, the split squat in general is always a great choice. Um, I would steer clear. A lot of people like to just go to knee extension or you know leg extension to, for that reason. Um, actually, completely terrible bad idea. That actually puts a lot more undue stress on the connective tissue around the knee than, than a squat does, especially a squat performed properly. So my thing would be avoid direct squatting or knee flexion unless it's like a targeted split squat and really strengthen your hamstrings and glutes. Take this time where your knee is hurting. I busted my right knee doing jujitsu. I should have tapped a lot sooner. My macho ego got in the way. A guy had me in a leg lock and I just didn't tap soon enough and he fucked my knee up. Um, it was my fault, not his. You know, we were just rolling. He was being very uh, professional and delicate about it. He just, he got me in a submission and he gently applied the tension. I thought like, I, I can get out of this. He's just a little guy. I'm And then, boop. Um, and I couldn't squat. I couldn't do shit for a long time. So it really forced my hand. I worked on my hip thrusts, um, my, my leg curls, my Romanian deadlifts, and I just completely strengthened up my posterior chain of my lower body instead of working on my quads at all. And uh, sure enough, of course, I wasn't as strong in the squat when I went back, but I was able to get to the point where I could squat again. And when I did, I became a better squatter for it. So that's my advice to you. Mark Chenard, what does your caffeine nicotine consumption look like? When, how, how much? Um, caffeine is hard to take. I, I, I wake up and have a cup of coffee, you know, to roll out of bed. Probably not the healthiest thing. Not that waking up and having a cup of coffee isn't healthy, but I definitely fully need it to get out of bed. And I know that that's probably a sign of something going on. Noted, but that's my life right now. Um, and, uh, I get, I, I acknowledge it. I recognize it. Oh, well, okay. That's the way my look at it. Um, I usually have, yeah, hundred to 200 milligrams. I'm assuming cause I, coffee is hard to measure. And then I will have a good size amount of caffeine before any workout that I do in a day, which is pretty much every day, six days a week, you know, any type of exercise I will do. Um, I will have a, 200 milligrams-ish of, ca of caffeine. That I opt for, that serving I opt for um, a pill form because it is very easy to measure and it's cheap as fuck. I just get Vibrin at like my local drugstore and, you know, it's cheap as shit and it's effective and I know exactly how much I'm using. So I'll, I'll take one Vibrin, which is 200 milligrams. Then... Either I don't have any more or depending on my day, if I have like a podcast to do or work to do, I will then just have coffee throughout the day. I don't know how much. Typically one to two cups, depending on how demanding the day is. So that's my caffeine. 
Um, nicotine is probably... I have more than the average person because I, I get these super strong fuckers um, when I'm not getting lucky, which I think is a great product. And I recommend everyone to get their nicotine from Lucky. I don't, I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. It is the best form as far as clean, targeted, great tasting, um, you know, non-smoking forms of, of, of nicotine. Lucky is, Lucky is a great product, the lozenges and the gum. Um, I'll have, you know three servings throughout the day. So I don't know. Let's say 16 milligrams three times a day, you know, depending. I try to stay away from anywhere near bedtime, you know, maybe four hours within bedtime, which for me is around 10 o'clock. So after about six, I stop. But, you know, usually I'll have one when I wake up and start meditating, doing my journaling, whatever, my daily morning routine. And then uh, I'll have some later in the day, you know, once or twice to kind of just get my head right. So that's my nicotine. Any advice on navigating a relationship living together where your partner refuses to eat healthy or exercise yet complains about weight issues, mental health? It is very hard for me to stay on track with a house full of junk food. Awesome question. Thank you, marvelous Mazungu. <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah it's tough right it's tough I'm fucking blessed that I have a really fit chick wife um, but I have dealt with this in my life Um, and it's the same thing I don't feel like I'm the best guy to give advice on this from a direct standpoint in that I, I, I don't, ugh, how do I say this without being an asshole? Girls that I've been in a close enough relationship where we're actually living together, and that is not many. Um, it was, you know, my ex-wife, uh, one girlfriend where we didn't technically live together, but she, we were together so much. She either stayed at her house or she stayed at mine pretty much every day. And then my current wife, all three were pretty fit. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience in a romantic sense with that. What I do have is a lot of experience with, since I got in recovery, women who either A, had a, had a serious drinking or drug problem, or we're coming to the conclusion that maybe they shouldn't drink so much. They're just like, it's, it's wearing on them at work and their mental health, like you pointed out. And, you know, I always touched it with kid gloves cause I'm that guy who's in recovery. So I don't want to be the one who's like pretending to be an evangelist for being sober because I don't drink or use drugs, not because drinking or using drugs is wrong or bad. I don't do it because I can't control myself. I have a problem. So I don't want to now try to deal with my problem and then espouse my way of life on someone else who doesn't necessarily have a problem, right? So I've had to deal with this kind of in an indirect way. Let them know you care. Let your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, whoever it may be, 
let them know that you're there for them and that you care and that you hear them when they complain about the problems or the uh, consequences that are coming from their behavior. But really stay away from trying to tell them how to fix it. Just really double down on living your life in this idealized, clean way. This is where the old adage that I'm sure everyone got told a hundred thousand times as a child, lead by example, this is where it really comes in big time and it and can be crucial. The, it doesn't really seem to work ever <laughs> to then tell people how to do things. Adults hate being told how to live their life, even if they know you're fucking right. I hate it. I'm sure you hate it too. If you can lead by example, that is so powerful. And it may not work overnight. It may not even work quickly. But if you, like I said, just let them know that you're there, put out the olive branch, and then do your due diligence to make sure that you're on top of your shit, and then they can see that in a really close, intimate capacity that it's, positively affecting you that that shit works now if you do that and you can be honest with yourself really commit to doing that and and lead by example and it still doesn't work you need to explore getting out of that relationship because a relationship is a beautiful thing and it is one of the most productive amazing uh enriching experiences that any human can have is the rom close romantic relationship. But by virtue of just being in a relationship does not make it enriching and healthy. Okay? And if you can acknowledge that a relationship is just not making your life better in any way, then you have to exit that relationship. That's regardless of family friends, or romantic relationship. Always do your part. Always try. But if you can realistically look in the mirror and say, I'm doing my part. This is harming my way of life. You need to get out. This is all not applicable if you have children. I can't, I do not want to sit here and tell people when to pull the trigger on dumping someone if you have kids. That's a fucking different ballgame. I do think that the margin of what you stick around for is much larger when children are involved. But if you don't have kids, even if you're married, there's no, don't stay in a fucking marriage or a relationship or a friendship just because you feel like you're supposed to. There's a difference between someone who's suffering and you know that you can be there for them and help them to exit that suffering, unnecessary suffering. And someone who's just fucking toxic for you, okay? So just make that, you know, try, I, I think, the advice that I give you. I, I, I believe it's good advice. I, I'm not an expert on this. But I do think that, you know, from my experience and the experience of people who are close to me, that that lead by example stuff is, is legit. But know when leading by example isn't working and you're just dealing with someone who's fucking flat out toxic for you. Um... David Brooks, what are your thoughts on Huel as a meal replacement? 
better than nothing, but not good. I don't think it's... I don't think it's, like, bad for you, but it is it it is not as good as real food. Nothing is. And that includes even, like, a really good protein shake. You know? So that that's my take on it. I wish I could be more cut and dry about it, but it's not a cut and dry issue. If you're a, a long-term, a long-distance truck driver or, you know, a fireman or a cop or something, a job where there's going to come up pretty consistently these times where you just can't get to your measured meal and stuff, a meal replacement of, of high quality is a, is a great thing. It is not something to build a diet around and it's something to be avoided if possible. Uh, C-U-S-U-F, Cal State University Fullerton, I think, blacksmith, just started doing the resistance band workout you posted on Patreon. What do you think of getting a band with a higher resistance so that I can kind of mimic a high intensity, low volume training that I would do at a gym? I enjoyed that type of training before. I wonder if it could be translated to using resistance bands at home. No, I don't recommend that at all. One of the big values, one of the big um, positives to resistance bands is the way that you can train. And that is to really isolate and and um, extrude as much value out of range of motions as possible. It is something that should be used for physical therapy and for higher volume, lower resistance training. Once you get into bands that are super high resistance, then it actually compromises your ability to complete reps in a positive way. A band is not something to be used for high-intensity intervals or high-intensity training. You're not going to get to the point where you can progressively overload ad nauseum with a band. You're going to get to a point where a band is just going to be so restrictive through all some at some point of the range of motion that it doesn't replicate a deadlift or a bench press or a overhead press or something. Um, what I do recommend if someone's in a situation like you is to continue to do the resistance band training in a in a air in a in a modality that I recommend, which is to um, focus on slower uh, ranges of motion and to really get the most out of every single inch of that range of motion with the continuous tension that a band provides. Then, if you want to engage in a more high intensity situation, body weight stuff. Body weight stuff is is it shines in that capacity. You know, I'd much rather see people are always talking to me like I do my body weight workout and I love body weight stuff, but people get confused that the better they get at body weight stuff, the more they just add reps. And trust me, doing 500 pushups a day, um, as you get better and better is not going, it's not going to be effective after a while. You're going to get really good at the endurance of doing pushups, but it's not going to do much for your physique. Um, now that being said, if you can do circuits of pushups and body weight rows and body weight squats and chin-ups in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, a timed fashion where you can do, you know, more pushups in a allotted amount of time and then shorten rest intervals and do slower range of motions to increase intensity, even adding body, adding weight to resistance to things like a push up and a, and a chin up. That's where you can start to really 
kick ass with things like high intensity interval training using body weight movements. Um, so I, I would say double up with that. If you can work out every other day, push, pull legs, is that a good idea from Preddy 08? Um, I've been doing full body for the last year and I think it's gone quite well. I don't recommend that. Here's why. Push, pull legs is a great um, protocol, but push, pull legs is going to necessitate a little bit more frequency than once a week. If you only have the ability to work out three times a week, I would do some form of, of full body, meaning you don't necessarily have to do the full body every time, but you have to mix and match things like one lower body work uh, exercise, compound exercise, one upper body compound exercise, some type of core movement, and then, you know, maybe, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but that'd be about it. You know, just get one really good complex movement, upper body, one complex movement, lower body, and then some type of core movement, and then mix and match those so that at least you're getting the majority of your body head to toe trained in those three days a week. That being said, if you're if you're really geeking it, I do think you can get away with training a muscle group once a week. If you're, you have to have tremendous amounts of um, commitment to intensity. And I just don't think most people are there yet, be it mentally, emotionally, or physically. Um, so I would rather see people do really good intensity three times a week and covering their entire body in that in that period, as opposed to just push pull. Now push pull legs. If you're going to train everything twice a week, or even do like a five day split where you do push pull legs, uh, rest, repeat, rest, repeat, you know, so you're not getting everything necessarily twice a week, but you're getting everything twice in a 10 day period. Then yeah, that, that, that's where push pull legs can really be of uh, tremendous value. I'm going to take a quick break to talk about sponsors while I switch profiles and switch uh, to my email account to get more questions. Don't move. Earlier in the podcast, you heard me talk about Lucy. Lucy is the absolute best way to get your nicotine. Honestly, it is the best. Developed by Caltech scientists. I actually knew these men and women. Prior to me even starting Mikey Likes You, I had been in talks with them about developing a real effective healthy way to get your nicotine, which is a great drug with a lot of benefits. Unfortunately, there's a stigma surrounding it because typically the way you got your nicotine was nasty. You smoke, you chew tobacco, you vape, whatever it may be. Now you have Lucy. It is gum with four milligrams, a great therapeutic dosage of the amazing drug nicotine in wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate, or you can get the four milligram lozenge in cherry ice flavor. They all taste delicious. And again, they will give you that awesome cognitive benefit, the help with your uh, metabolism and also fighting hunger, dealing with uh, a, a, a hunger and a, a need to eat that is out of control. This is why smokers quit smoking and gain a lot of weight. It is because nicotine will do that for you. Mikey likes you listeners. Go to lucy.co. Use the promo code Mikey. Get 20% off all products, including gum and lozenges. That's lucy.co. Use the promo code Mikey at checkout. And I must 
remind you that this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is, in fact, an addictive chemical. Lucy.co, be sure to use the promo code Mikey. All right, I'm back, and I'm bad. Uh, let's get to it. See similar. Hey, Psycho Mike, I have been struggling with pull-ups. Just can't seem to make progress. I do assisted pull-ups, lat pull-downs, static holds, rows, etc., but can only bang out maybe two to three reps. I work out four to five days a week doing push-pull split. So twice a week minimum, I'm doing pull-ups. Any suggestions? Yes, and this is going to suck to hear. Um, lose body fat. Get stronger, lose body fat. There's a reason why, um, you know, the, the pull-up champions of the world are always 145 pounds. Um, it's, you're talking about with a pull-up especially, more so than any other body weight movements, but in general, body weight movements are a perfect representation of the power-to-weight ratio, which is what most people want to try to um, improve upon. You want to get stronger and you want to be as light as possible while ma maximizing your strength. You simply can't be strong enough to make up for excess weight. Eventually, you will run into the problem of just being too heavy for your given level of strength. You can only get stronger at, a, at, a, at a, a, a certain rate. And for most of us who are not genetically gifted, even for the genetically gifted, it's not that heavy. It's not that quick. Excuse me. It's not that rapid. Um, so after years of training, as you've mentioned, you, you clearly train and you know what you're doing. You, you, all these things that you're trying are definitely smart approaches from the level of increasing your strength. But you just aren't going to get better at pull-ups specifically until you lose excess weight and that weight needs to be body fat, okay? So it's, a, it's, a, it's really an analysis of goals and I think that for most people that goal should be right in there where if you're training like crazy and you're doing this and you're committing to getting stronger in your vertical pull and you still are stuck at two to three pull-ups, this is... This is where you need to look yourself in the mirror and be like, you know what, I'm just, I got a, I got a body fat problem. And you, you really simply can't argue with me unless you could say, but Mike, I got a DEXA, I got a real measurement, you know, a DEXA or a body tank, one of those of my body fat. And I'm under, you know, say 15% for guys and 25%, 20% for girls, somewhere around there. But, you know, you, you if you're not a certain level of leanness, you can't argue with me on that one, okay? And I, and I just, I hate to, to even go there because it's not nice to hear, but that's the reality. Uh, H-Bay Tala, H-B, uh, whatever. Um, first time, long time. Lifelong ectomorph, meaning he has trouble gaining weight. He's one of those people we all hate who seems to eat whatever they want but can't put on weight. Um, lifelong ectomorph who gained body fat during COVID will be trying to lose weight for the first time. Following your formula, tracking calorie deficit of 300 to BMR and lifting heavy. Any other pieces of advice feels weird not having to try to gain weight but lose it. Oof. Um... 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that you are an ectomorph, I would say really, really double down on your focus with protein, okay? So that if you are going to be in a deficit, the last thing you need to do is compromise your protein synthesis and protein efficiency. Um, a lot of people really, really, really see great results with um, intermittent fasting. I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. If it works for you, do it. But you should look into eating very frequently throughout the day um, and high, high protein. Even though you want to maintain that deficit, that's absolutely necessary for you to lose that body fat. But you're someone who genuinely doesn't have the best ability to efficiently use that protein and keep that protein synthesis high, which, which is what you absolutely need to um, focus on when it comes to dropping body fat is to protect that muscle. I've always said, don't look at weight loss as a, as a pure weight loss kind of journey. Look at it as a muscle preservation journey. Um, and that's, that's honestly true. So for you, it's even more important. Um, every three hours, get a serving of protein and get into at the very least 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. I would, I wouldn't be afraid to go to 1.5 for you. Where to begin? 44 drum says, I don't even know where to start. I've secured my gym membership and I feel overwhelmed and weird. I need to break the seal, but just don't know where to start. Thanks in advance. Okay, uh, very common question. Very real. It's frankly very courageous for you to even open up about it because I feel like so many people like to hide behind the fact of like, well, fuck those ripped chicks and dudes and buff dudes. I, I It's not for me. I just hate going to the gym. I do. And the reality is, is that it's not the machines and it's not the free weights and it's not the gym itself. It's the culture and the world that is just frankly intimidating. And I totally get it. It's absolutely intimidating. And it's absolutely not comfortable to, to, to break that seal and just get going. This is one of those times when Nike got it right and you just got to do it. Now, can you make your make life easier for you to do so? Absolutely. I'm sure your gym, every gym worth the salt offers personal training or even a session of, um, you, you know, like not an interrogation necessarily, but like a, like a, like a, a, a free or, or a very low cost kind of introductory um, situation where you can have someone on staff not only maybe do the personal training, but just walk you through the gym and get you accustomed to walking through that door and maybe take off some of the, the heebie-jeebies that surround it. Because I don't care how big and buff a dude is or how lean a chick is, how amazing they look, we all have that initial heebie-jeebie when it comes to a facility where a bunch of people are working out. You feel judged. You feel like you don't want to be there. You're around a bunch of strangers. It's not naturally the most awesome situation. Um, but in life, when you have not necessarily awesome situation, but you know it's something that you probably need to do anyway, comfort in numbers is real. So either find a trusted family member or friend, someone that you really 
trust and know is not going to judge you and get them to go with you. Maybe go with them to their gym, whatever it takes. Just get someone with you alongside to kind of help shield you from those initial heebie-jeebies. And once you break the seal, it becomes so much easier. The next thing I would recommend is don't go in there blind. Go in there with a real, very basic, not necessarily too overwhelming program that you know you're going to start doing and stick to. That makes things so much more sustainable than just walking into the gym and trying to figure out things on your own. Next thing you know, you're going to be mentally fatigued. Subsequently, you're going to have a disproportionate level of physical fatigue to it, and you're just going to be like, fuck this. Okay? That's one of the many benefits to jujitsu as opposed to other um, forms of combat sports. Even though I am a, a guy who loves striking sports more, I just my personal affinity is closer to Muay Thai and boxing. I love it. I, I think it's great. I encourage anybody who's interested to do it. But the great one of the great things about jujitsu is the is the ranking system and the belt system. And you walk in and you have that white belt on, the instructors, every other person there, every other man and woman that's training recognizes that you're. this is maybe your first time or well, well within a, your, the first couple times you've been in there. And every single one of those people was once a white belt. And they, they feel for you and they have a sympathy and an understanding. And they are supportive to that. And it's amazing. There's no belt system in a gym. And... I'm saying if you can just protect yourself from that a little bit by having someone else with you, um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like the fittest person, just having someone who's already broken that seal, it'll make things a little bit better. And I encourage you to do it, man. And really good on you for first off fucking admitting that and secondly, knowing that you got to do it anyway. It's awesome. What's the difference between cardio and walking from Trey Thinks? Um, Actually, not, not a, it's actually a good question. Cardio, walking is a form of cardio. Walking is, in my opinion, the best form of cardio for a couple reasons. One, it's super appropriate for the human body. I don't care if you're someone who is in great shape or someone who is really overweight or anything. Things like running, um, they take skill. And you don't just go out and start jogging and start running. You have to know how to run or else you're going to end up with knee problems, ankle problems, whatever it may be. Secondly, certain forms of cardiovascular activity, whether it be rowing, these, these are things that I like, that I love. Um, boxing, um, rowing, the stair climber, uh, a, a boot camp class. They are going to take you without question into a heart rate zone where you are now not in a weight loss mode. You're in a body has switched to certain human energy systems where now it demands that you eat more and to sustain it. And it is going to put you in a non fat burning situation. What, what well, you're saying? I've heard that interval training is better for fat loss than than steady state, you know, walking and low intensity, you know, cardio. Uh, it is if you're already muscular and have the ability to do that exercise in a high enough intensity level and a measured intensity level to then reap the benefits. 
Most people don't, especially someone who is already questioning what's the difference between walking and cardio. And again, that's not a, it's not a, a, a pejorative, it's not an insult. I'm simply pointing out that, you know, you have to be, my problem with a lot of fitness advice is that, yes, fitness advice is true for the most part when you get it, but it's only true for a certain segment of society. And one thing that's true for all segments of society, I don't care if you're a world-class athlete or you're someone who's never exercised in your life, is that walking is good for you and is beneficial and will help with weight loss. And it will help, and it is a great way to burn calories and increase your metabolism without compromising your ability to go in and lift weights and do other things that are also crucial for your long-term success. So walking is cardio. It's just a preferred form of cardio. And it's the only form of cardio that I recommend to all people and do it with full confidence because I know it's not going to compromise your goals. If your goal is to have a ripped, lean, muscular physique that looks good naked, oftentimes things like jogging, bike riding, um, and other forms of cardio that are going to put you in that mid-level uh, heart rate and things like high intensity interval training, when you're not at a point where you can do high intensity interval training, they're going to put you in a mid-level heart rate zone where you're going to spin your wheels. You're not going to get any muscular contraction subsequently helping you with your protein synthesis and developing muscle. Um, and you're not going to help boost your metabolism. You're going to actually harm it. And you're also going to make yourself fucking starving and starving for the wrong type of shit. So I don't have a problem with high intensity intervals and I recommend them, I do them. I have a problem with that for most people because they, they just aren't there yet to make them worth their while. I don't have any problem with people walking. I don't care how fucking shredded you are or if you're a, a UFC fighter or if you're a, someone who's never worked out in your life. Walking is incredibly appropriate for the human system. It doesn't compromise recovery. It doesn't re compromise, it doesn't take any skill it won't cause injury, and it does burn excess calories, and it burns excess calories in the fat-burning zone. It is impossible. I don't want to say impossible, but it's almost impossible biologically unless you are a world-class walker. <laughs> you know, like one of these walking competitions, they have that in the Olympics, but... It's almost impossible to get walking, even walking briskly, to walk in a rate that would put you in a heart rate zone that's going to take you out, make you glycolytic and take you out of a fat burning zone. I walk every day and I don't just walk around aimlessly. Yeah, I do. I walk my dogs. I walk with my daughter. It's fun. I walk with my wife. But I also, I walk with purpose. I walk every day. I walk without fail and I love it and I, I do think it's crucial to your long-term sustainable goal of having a better looking physique and feeling better and, and being healthier. When do you know it's time to change a workout routine? Should weight be increased every workout from Joe Joey 54? Um, okay, two questions there. Weight should increase every workout, but you are going to have those days. Even if you're in a perfect anabolic state, even if your diet and sleep and everything's perfect, that's, that's, this is human life. You are going to go into the gym one of, every once in a while and not be able to lift shit that you were just last week. And you're going to be like, oh, fuck, what's happening? If, that's a, if, if it's a, the one-off situation, you just write it out. 
that happens. It's going to happen. Now, that is different than actually hitting a strength plateau, which is going to happen no matter what. I don't care how fucking strong you are or how long you've been lifting. If you are dieting, if body fat and calorie restriction is a part of your protocol, which it is for almost everybody, you are going to hit a point where you can't get any stronger. That is biology. You can only, you're not going to get stronger, you know, based on skill alone, accruing skill, which is what happens when you're new to lifting or even taking a break from lifting in a caloric deficit because your connective tissue, your skill level, your hormone system is going to adjust and then you're going to need to be in an anabolic state and, and have excess calories to continue to get stronger. That's, that's life, okay? Every dieting power lifter knows that that's true. These are the best of the best at lifting heavy weights. Even they know you can't continue to fucking smash when you're dieting. There's a, there's a margin where you can, it goes up, and you should always shoot for getting more weight on the bar or more reps. Uh, that is absolutely a great way to measure your progress. But eventually, overall dynamic strength is going to halt when you're losing weight. When that happens, it is time to switch up. And then you can incorporate either full rest, you know, where you're just keeping your body moving you know, a couple weeks and then go back to it. Or you can, if you're lean enough, switch and gear towards more of a, of a gaining phase. You know, I like the idea of reverse dieting, of adding in more and more calories slowly so that you can stay lean. Sometimes even lose a little bit more body fat as that muscle mass and that strength goes up. But you got to really know the difference between... Uh, just having one of those days when it's not working out and when you're actually hitting a plateau. Uh, da, 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 Ooh, final question. God, I, I ran through these pretty good. Um, uh, I just burped. Oh, shit. Almost threw up in my mouth. Range Ramon, does size matter? Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about dick. Uh, if you're gay, yeah. Gay guys seem to always like big, thick, fat cocks. Um, just a gay guy thing, you know, from my experience. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter much for chicks unless you have an incredibly small dick. Now, I mean, seriously, seriously, size does not typically matter for women unless you have a disproportionately small dick. I don't think most women, in fact, I know most women because look, I hosted Loveline. I have a very strange perspective on this because I have I hosted a advice show typically about sexual issues and in the decade or so that I did that we took I don't know 500 calls of my boyfriend's too big it hurts it sucked we probably took two or three calls of my boyfriend my husband's too small and then when we asked him they said that he had like an inch dick okay so the, the overwhelming majority of us who have normal average penis, which we all, of course, because we're guys, wish it was bigger, uh, we're fine. You can get the job done. Now, if you have a micro penis, like a medical micro penis, then, of course, size matters. But for the most part, size doesn't matter for women unless it's too big, which is crazy. Because I know as guys, we all want our dicks to be huge. But... Uh, massive dicks is not a picnic for most women. <laughs> In fact, it can become very unenjoyable. Uh, so there you go. 
there there is a much longer answer than I'm assuming you were going for because you were probably just trying to be funny uh, and you didn't really succeed. But uh, I actually had a real answer for that. So there you go. Uh, thank you to all my sponsors for making this show possible. Thank you to all my patrons for making this show possible. Uh, by the way, if you are interested in more help, more insight, more of the ability to pick my brain, head on over to Patreon and look for Mike Catherwood. Sign up. There are three tiers of assistance. You can go full bore like my wife did and get my personal training. I will be there for you. I do my best to answer all your questions as fast as I fucking can. Custom make a program for you. Custom make diet, uh, diet programs for you. That is the top tier. And I am yours for as long as you want to continue doing that at the top tier. Honestly, that is, you pay me, I am at your beckons call. And I will always do my best. Um, there is a mid-grade in which you receive uh, custom programs that I put out there for all the people at the, the middle level. Um, and then there's the entry level, which is awesome, and I appreciate all of them just the same. Uh, the entry level, you get access to the bonus pod. Um, you get access to all the articles and blogs and insights and little pieces of my mind that I put up there. Um, but everything is available to you there at Patreon. Look for Mike Catherwood. Uh, speaking of my Patreon, I put up the idea uh, of doing like a crowdcast, doing like a virtual Zoom party meeting where everyone can come on on video and ask me questions if you are a patron. I finally figured out a way to do it properly and not have it ruin things. Um, and I'm going to do that next week. As of this recording, I am looking at, it is the 13th of July. So next week, I'm going to make that happen. I will make the announcement not only via my Patreon, but also via my uh, socials. But uh, I'm going to make that happen. My wife and my daughter are going out of town. And I can do it at any time of day and not compromise anything. And I also figured out a way to do it properly so no one has any hiccups. And I figured out a way to record it so that if you're not able to be a part of it, you can watch it later and you can watch it in perpetuity. So that's going to happen. I will nail down the date, but it is going to be next week. And I will uh, alert everybody to that. And in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do be good people. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.